very good translations of the Bible, obviously. Um, but you can't buy an 84 anymore, and our pew Bibles are 984. And so what we're sort of doing is sort of over the next year or so, as our pew Bibles get more and more um, worn out, I guess, um, we're going to start replacing those. But up on the screen will be the 2011 NIV. And so that's what, um, for example, that's Phil read from just then. We had a few technical glitches, but don't worry about that. Um, so if you want to, I'd love you to bring a Bible to church. That's the best thing. Um, and if you're in the market of buying a new Bible, which I am, um, a few of us are actually, um, Kathleen, we're talking about it as well, uh, then um, a 2011 NIV is the one that, we're, um, that I sort of preach from. I'll put up on the screen those verses from that version and so on. The problem is, of course, all my memory verses, the ones I've remembered over the years, are in the 984 so, see how that goes, hey? Um, all right. So, Deuteronomy 4, new series. Uh, let me tell you the story first. So, a teacher asks her students what religious objects they had in their homes. And one boy answered, we have a picture of a woman with a halo holding a baby. And every day my mother kneels in front of it. Uh, the next little boy said, we have a brass statue of a Chinese man seated with crossed legs and every day my parents uh, burn an incense stick before it. And then a third boy piped up and said, in the bathroom we have a little platform with numbers on it and every day my dad stands on it first thing in the morning and screams, oh my God. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, today we're, we're looking at God's word in Deuteronomy uh, and as we, we think about idols, uh, let's pray that we are made, um, as we look back from Galatians and Romans 6 as well, let's pray that we read God's word, that we're made conscious of our sin. That's what I'm going to pray in a moment. And let's also pray that as we flee from idolatry, that last, last line of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14, as we flee from idolatry, we run to Jesus. Flee from idolatry, we run to Jesus. Let's pray we do that. So let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your kindness to us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are the sovereign God of all who loves us and is a jealous God. Lord, we pray that we respond today in, in faith and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an outline um, also in your bulletins. be helpful to have that open in front of you just to see where we're up to. I've left a bit of a space you see there on the first page of that outline uh, on point two, examine your, we'll get to that in a few moments' time, but you might want to write a few things down. I, I, when I listen to sermons, I love writing things down. It helps you to remember stuff. Um, I encourage you to do the same thing. And we'll have a question and answer comment time uh, at the end of, end of today. So these next four weeks, uh, I guess what I'd call a bit of a, a mini-series, there, there are four sermons or speeches from Moses in Deuteronomy. Uh, some actually say five. His final speech uh, right at the end of Deuteronomy. It's more that, well, that's a bit more like a farewell, though. That's what that is. So today, what we do, we jump in to the last major dot point of Moses' first sermon in Deuteronomy. You with me? They're all pretty long sermons. So we're going to jump in on the last major dot point of his first sermon. Now, the next three weeks, we're going to spend time in his second sermon. And that's a very long sermon. You complain about my sermons being long. My goodness, you've got no, we've got nothing on Moses. Moses is preaching to the people of God, following their redemption from Egypt, so their escape from Egypt. 
towards the end of their wandering in the wilderness, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And now what they're awaiting entry into the promised land. They're waiting to cross over the Jordan River and into the promised land. Boiling it down, God says to his people through Moses, now that I've saved you, live like this. The order's really, we've got to get the order right. So do they. Now that I've saved you, live like this. It's not live like this and I'll save you or you'll be saved. No, 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 no. It's rescue first. It's grace and love of God first. He shows the initiative and then his people respond. That's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? That's what the gospel is. Now that I've saved you, live like this, God says to his people. Now, Deuteronomy not only teaches us about God, his character, but it teaches us about God's people, uh, Israel. And since Jesus is the culmination of Israel's story, we'll have a better understanding of Jesus if we understand Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy as the law, now often the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, and uh, Deuteronomy is the fifth, uh, the first five books of Deuteronomy, of, of the, the Old Testament are described as the law. As, as the law, it'll make us conscious of our sin. That's what the New Testament says. It tells us is one of the purposes of the law. It's something that we've talked about a lot in Galatians too, haven't we? But it will also point us to the ultimate resolution of the problem of sin. Deuteronomy will point us to Jesus. And I think that's what we'll do today. All right, well, let's get into some, some uh, definitions first of all. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, I think, is a how-to guide. Uh, we all love how-to guides. I do anyway. It's a how-to guide to prevent idolatry. As one commentator wrote, there is a reason why idolatry is listed first in the Ten Commandments. Ever think for a minute? What's the first commandment again? You shall have no other gods before me. It's because idolatry is the reason why we do anything wrong. We never break the other commandments without breaking the first one. Isn't that true? I think it's true. So what is idolatry? Well, idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. It is finding security in the things of this world over God and his work, over God and his gospel. I want to say that again. I think the definition is really important. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. It's finding security in the things of this world over God and his work, over God and his gospel. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 16, I hope you've got it in front of you, uh, Moses says that to worship idols, idolatry, is to act corruptly. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, it's to corrupt, spoil, or even destroy something God has given. So in verse 19, to worship things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven, created things. So it's why in Romans chapter 1, Paul gives the description he does of people who have rejected God, and idolatry is at the heart of it. Have a look at these words, Romans 1, uh, 21 and 25. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now in verse 25, 
they, this is the definition of idolatry. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and, created, uh, and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That's, that's at the heart of idolatry. So idolatry can take various forms too. It's not just statues in the corner of, our, of um, a room or a restaurant. It, sometimes the idol could be wealth, uh, health, the bathroom scales gag. You know, uh, the, the, or notoriety. If we are pursuing these things over God and his work, then that's an idol. I, I loved um, Ross's, uh, this, the idea of search history. Where is he? Here he is. Search, what a great, that, there's a way to check out our idols, isn't it? Man, yes, that's, that makes us think, doesn't it? Look at your search history. Uh, idolatry can be, well, it can be sex outside of marriage drugs, even a relationship. Our idol could be the security that we try to receive through getting a word from a, from a psychic or, a, or an astrologer. You see, but idols also, idols can be good things, can't they? Good things replacing a good God. So can politics be an idol? Can nationalism be an idol? Good things, yes, but if we find our security in them, in those things over God and his work, his gospel, or if they disrupt God's work and his gospel, if our loyalty to those things disrupts God's work, then good things can become an idol. And God hates it. Remember verse 24? God is a, a je- he's jealous for us. He's jealous for us. But we'll come back to that in a few moments' time. So how do we prevent idolatry then? Here's the how-to guide. Got a bit of an idea of a definition now, hopefully. How do we prevent idolatry? And we're on point two of our outline. And we're really, we're focusing on verses 15 to 28 here. Dismantling our idols is often difficult because we don't want to expose them. Uh, We don't want to admit, even to ourselves, that we've made an idol out of politics, work. Uh, our relationships, our comfort. It's easy to rationalise that they're not really idols at all, merely good things that we sometimes focus on too much. Not everything, though, we love is an idol. Uh, There is much in creation that we've been given for our enjoyment. We can appreciate the gifts of God without making them a replacement for him. But they are the first things... But if they are the first things our minds turn to, then well, you've, you've identified a problem, haven't we? A problem area. So what I want, to do, I want to give you a few areas to examine in order to determine whether the good things in your life have replaced a good God. Now, these are stolen from a great article I, I looked up on the Gospel Coalition website. It's a great website, lots of good articles there. Um, and it's called, How to Expose Idols in Your Life. Uh, really good article, I'd encourage you to look it up, Gospel Coalition, How to Expose Idols in Your Life. So it goes through these, um, how many are there? There's uh, eight examines. You ready? Here's the first one. So, examine your imagination. All right. So what do you daydream about? Now, if you've been daydreaming in the last few minutes, come back and report, maybe you can share with us, what were you daydreaming about? No, don't do that. Uh, What do you daydream about? When your mind wanders, is it to material goods, like a fishing boat, exotic vacations, uh, a new house, uh, 
Speaking personally there, we sold our house at Camborora recently and so we're looking to buy something else. I've got to be really careful that that doesn't become an idol. I do, I do have to be really careful. But maybe it's other material things. It might be, it might be intangible items too that you daydream about, um, such as fame or celebrity or the approval of your peers. Helps you to think about what might be an idol in your life. What about this next one? Examine um, your attention. Uh, consider the times you would rather be doing something else rather than practicing a spiritual discipline. So what activity would you rather be doing instead than, say, coming to church, reading a Bible? That sort of, it, could be, it could be an idol. Are there one or more time-wasting activities that you regularly turn to uh, to avoid engaging in more productive tasks? Good question. Examine your finances. Here's the next one. Some, um, probably, probably a lot of us, have a bit of discretionary or disposable income. You know, after we've paid all the bills, we've got a bit left in the bank, right? Uh, how do you spend your disposable income? For what material goods or services are you most likely to go into, into debt to finance? Just questions, but they might help us to establish what might be an idol in our life. Let's keep going. Examine your prayer life. So how do you feel when God doesn't respond to your prayers in the way you wanted? Do you trust that he knows best or do you become angry and bitter? Have there been unanswered prayers that have made you doubt God's goodness or made you want to turn away from him? Examine your relationships. What person do you love the most? What person do you most want to please? Do you have friendships or romantic attachments that lead you away from God? What about this one? Imagine, uh, examine your emotions. So what do you most fear? This is one you need sort of time to think through as we talk about it, I think. What do you most fear? What do you most hope for? What are you most passionate about? Could that become an idol? Could well do. What do you most desire? What makes you extremely angry or sad? Do you find security in something God has given rather than God? I think really good questions as we try to work out what our idols might be. Two to go. Examines your, examine your concerns. What do you worry about? What makes you anxious? What do you fear? Uh, what do you most fear losing? There's some good answers to these questions too, by the way, but there are also some answers that will lead us to thinking about what our idols might be in our life. Last one, examine your past and future. So imagine for a moment you've you know, got on your time machine and you, you could travel either the past or the future. What would you use to change? How would you use it to change things if you could go back or you'd go forward? What makes, makes you most nostalgic? I had a lot of fun thinking these through. You might need to go and look up the article again. Remember the article's called uh, How to Expose, Expose Idols in Your Life, Gospel Coalition. Um, what would you most want to happen in the future? What would you cause to despair or cause you to despair if, you, if it didn't come to pass? Oh, good questions. They are good questions. Lots of questions. You see, I reckon we can use these questions to uncover the deep cravings and desires of our hearts. And once you've identified a potential idol, 
Well, think about whether you've put it ahead of or in place of God and his work. That's what we'll do. Okay, now let's jump back to Deuteronomy 4. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses, after he urges uh, the people to cling to God and his law, in other words, cling to his word, and he does that in, in one, uh, verse 1 to 14, we pick things up in verse 15, and that's where he goes on to give, well, he gives five things to remember which will help prevent idolatry. So again, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, open up Deuteronomy chapter 4, here's the first one, remember... Remember the divine origin of the law, the word of God. So in verse 15, Moses says to the people, You saw no form or of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore watch yourselves very carefully. Pay careful attention to. Don't, or sorry, be careful not to drift. See, Moses warns the people that it can be easy as the people, it can be easy to drift, it can be easy to not pay careful attention because God spoke to them out of this fire. It wasn't a tangible thing. It wasn't an idol that they've carved out themselves. When, when the Ten Commandments were given to them, the, the horror is Mount Sinai. See, the great temptation with idolatry is to look at to and find security in something tangible. Well, there's my bank balance there's, there's my, my um, whatever it might be, my, uh, my boat, my house, whatever it might be. Uh, we, we find security in something tangible that we can see, that we can touch. That, that's what an idol is. But faith is, what's faith? You might remember Hebrews 11 verse 1. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's what faith is. So God says, watch yourselves very carefully. The answer for Israel was to remember that the law was given to them by God. It was from God himself. It is the word of the Lord that spoke to them out of the fire. And that's mentioned in verse 12 as well. So here's tip number one in preventing idolatry. Remember that the Bible, the, the, the word, it, is, it is the word of the Lord. God's word is here written for us. He's the creator of all things. Remember that. Remember the word of the Lord. The second uh, comes from verse 20. Remember your redemption. So verse 20, But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance as you are now. So they are the people of God, his treasured possession. Just before... Uh, Moses speaks of the uh, Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. He tells them in 19 verse 6 of Exodus, you are my treasured possession. You are a people belonging to me. Now the New Testament picks up on this uh, as we are uh, God's and God is ours. Uh, 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. It's the great assurance that if you're a follower of Jesus... We are God's and he is ours. It's a great assurance. John Newton, who was a converted slave trader, became a great minister of the gospel and, of course, a songwriter. He wrote the famous hymn Amazing Grace. He often referred to his conversion as uh, the day I first believed. 
you might remember that line in Amazing Grace. When he was dying, so literally on his deathbed, he told those around him that he was packed and sealed and waiting for the post. <laughs> A great line. Um, and th- these were his last words. He says, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner, and then he he pauses for breath, and then he said, and that Christ is a great saviour. How do we prevent idols? Remember your saviour. How do you prevent idolatry in your life? Remember your redemption, remember your saviour. Third, remember how God punished the leader. Uh, so in urging, to remi- in urging the people to remain faithful, Moses uses himself as a negative example. So have a look at verse 21 of chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. The Lord was angry with me because of you. Now this, this came out of, you can read it in Deuteronomy chapter 1, is when the people were disobedient about going into the promised land. Uh, they, didn't, um, they didn't do what God told them to do, didn't trust him against this uh, scary, fearful en- enemy. And Moses uh, copped the blame for that. And so Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. He had, it was the next generation who would go through. So verse 21, The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. I will die in this land, I will not cross the Jordan, but you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. In other words, God won't tolerate disobedience even if it comes from a revered and loved leader. The message is don't mess with sin. Uh, it's easy, isn't it, to, to flirt with disobedience? But just hang on that line. You know, do all you can get away with. And with no thought of displeasing God. So God says, watch yourselves very carefully. God does not tolerate idolatry and disobedience. And Moses is an example of that. We need to remember this. Fourth one, uh, no, sorry, yeah, yeah, fourth one. Remember the covenant, God's promises. So verse 23, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. So God's people were to remember the covenant, that God, the promises that God had made uh, and entered into with them. They were to remember the promises of God. To make an idol... Uh, would be to break that covenant relationship. That's what it is. Now, in Moses' day, to ensure they would not forget, the people would renew this covenant uh, quite frequently, often at the change of leadership or after a military victory. They'd renew the covenant. They'd remind themselves of it. They'd remember it. Uh, crossing the Jordan River into the, into the Promised Land, they would, re- remind, they would, they would uh, renew the covenant. Uh, for us today, well... We can renew the covenant, if you like. Well, we do it by saying a creed together. We do that a couple of times a month. Um, or reading parts of scripture together. Uh, some churches even have a covenant service. Uh, we, we do something similar once a year. Uh, we have a special Thanksgiving service. You probably don't even notice we have it, but we do have it. Uh, <laughs> we do a special service where we're, where we're thankful to God and we go through a few things about what God has done in, in church over the year. In some ways, our AGM acts a bit like that as well, renewing a covenant, seeing what God's done for us over the year. Uh, Paul expresses the attitude clearly in Romans 14, verses 7 and 8. Um, it's like a covenantal statement, 
reminding us of God's promises. I'll just read it to you. He says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's a covenantal type, remembering God's promises. We are his and he is ours. That's what Paul was talking about. Okay, one more, to, to prevent idolatry. Now, I think, no, I don't have it there. There we go. For some reason, I didn't put it up there. It's on your outline, though, if you're writing notes. It's on my notes, too. There you go. This is the last one. Remember that God is a jealous God. Have a look at verse 20, 24 with me. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. In other words, God is zealous. Now, zealous could be, it's the same word in Hebrew. He's zealous in his commitment to his people. Super keen, if you like, put it that sort of way. He's jealous to see them remain faithful to him. In the sense that God's zeal for his people is such that he will not tolerate unfaithfulness or seeing his people dishonoured. His jealousy for us is therefore an aspect of his love. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for us as his church. That's an aspect of God's love for us. He is ours and we are his. One commentator wrote, The fire of the Lord as a jealous God is the fire of an exclusive commitment to his people that demands an exclusive commitment in return. And this author continues by saying, The fire of redeeming love that has brought them out of the fire of bondage, that's the slavery, uh, would therefore tolerate no rival. We wouldn't want it the other way around, would we? Would we want God not to be jealous of us? Some people struggle with the jealousy of God thing. We wouldn't want it the other way around. Like God is flippant, doesn't really care that God's impersonal. Would you want that? No, I want God to be a jealous God that shows us how much he loves us. But look, as we close and tie a few things up, let's close with the words of verse 29 and 30. Uh, it's a reminder to flee from idolatry, and return to the Lord. Why do we run to Jesus? Why do we flee from idolatry and run to Jesus? Because God is merciful. Because Jesus died on the cross for us, for our sins, so that we can be forgiven. Let me read these verses out to you. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. When we think about idolatry, it would be silly to forget the grace of God, the mercy of God. And let's not do that today. I'm going to pray for us. This is the prayer I'm going to pray. It's really short. It says, Creator God, forgive us for worshipping the things you have made. No person or thing should be our hope or our trust. You alone are self-existent and all-sufficient. May you be our all in all. I'm going to pray that now. Let's pray together. Creator God, forgive us for worshipping the things that you have made. No person or thing should be our hope or our trust. You alone are self-existent and are all-sufficient. May you be our all in all.
Amen. I'll give you just a moment to um, see if you've got any questions or anything like that or, or a comment. Something